Pod for Good is sponsored by Tallgrass Estate Planning. If you're like me, you might hear estate planning and go, eh. You might think to yourself, I'm not sure why I'd bother with that. Estate planning is only for the uber rich. Well, that's not what Tallgrass thinks. Tallgrass founding attorneys, Laurel and Riley, think everyone should have an estate plan. They know estate planning seems untouchable to a lot of folks, like something you have to do inside a stuffy law firm where it feels like everyone is looking down on you, questioning your life decisions, and judging your financial situation. But I promise you, Tallgrass is nothing like that. For one, they work out of their home so their clients can feel at home. They obsess over making clients feel like they belong and are supposed to be there. They will take time to answer all of your questions, even those uncomfortable ones involving ex-spouses. They will work relentlessly to make sure your plan is exactly what you need to feel secure, at peace, and prepared for whatever the future has planned. So if you've been putting off planning for what's going to happen when you're no longer around to make anything happen, it's time for you to give Tallgrass a call at 918-770-8940 and start your plan today. Or visit their website at tallgrassestateplanning.com. Schedule a free initial consultation. It's easy. It's free. It's right there on their website. And of course, there's more because this is a podcast ad. If you tell them you're a pod for good listener, they're going to take 25% off their service fees. Stop thinking estate planning isn't for you and give Tallgrass a call today. Again, that number is 918-770-8940 or visit them on their website, but I'm not going to spell it out for you. TallgrassEstatePlanning.com. Thank you again, Tallgrass Estate Planning, for being a pot for good sponsor. Welcome to another episode of Pod for Good, a podcast where we learn from those doing good in Tulsa, why they care, what we can do, and most importantly, what you can do. Pod for Good is produced and edited by Ran Productions. I am your chief philanthropist, Jesse Ulrich. And I'm your vice admiral philanthropist, Chris Miller. And today, our guest is Andrea Williams, director of Tulsa Service Year. We talked to Andrea about what Tulsa Service Year brings to Tulsa, how teaching middle school kids uh, prepared her for working with college kids. And that these are fellows, not interns, Jesse. Listen, they still get paid more than me. Enjoy. We are very excited to have Andrea Williams live and in person. Uh, Hi. <laughs> live for us, not for our listeners, obviously. <laughs> but you are the, is executive director your title? Uh, program director. Program yes, director. Program director. For Tulsa Service Year. Tulsa Service Year. TSY. Yes. Is that the official? TSY. Uh, yeah, we do that abbreviation thing often. Yes. I yeah. mean, luckily, it's a short, it's a short abbreviation. It's much shorter than other nonprofits uh, type of abbreviations. But why don't you why don't you give us the elevator pitch for what Tulsa Service Year is? So Tulsa Service Year is a talent recruitment program. Really, it's aimed to recruit young talent, recruit recent college grads to come to our city, join arms with the work that we're doing. Tulsa is very unique with our private and public partnerships. And so it just showcases our city under four pillars, arts and education, civic engagement, entrepreneurship, and social impact. So under those four pillars, there's so many different organizations that our fellows partner with. And we're just in the effort of getting people here to the city, giving them a great salary, showing them all that is Tulsa. They get some leadership and development opportunities in there and really just expending all of our energy and helping them feel and find community here in Tulsa. So it's a year long service year. And yeah, it's our first year. So we're really excited in our inaugural year to get ready to recruit for the upcoming class. So for these fellows, once they come here, what is a what does a day to day look like for them? Yeah. So day to day, they actually work uh, full time in their organizations. So for a lot of them now with COVID, they're working from home, which all of us, right? Like our day to day is kind of mm-hmm. shifted, but they work, uh, you know, the traditional 40 hours a week. Once a month, we have a we alternate between an immersion experience or a leadership and professional development experience. And then throughout the time, we have social engagement opportunities. We'll host a happy hour or they'll meet up at a you know coffee shop two at a time. So during the day to day, like I said, they're working, but for some of them, they live in the same building. So it could be that they're meeting up with one of the cohort members and going somewhere too. So there's definitely opportunities that we've planned. And then our hope is that they're getting involved and getting connected, feeling like family with their cohort and doing things with them through the week. 
Where did this idea come from? What is the goal of Tulsa Service here? I think this idea really just came from, you know, how do we continue to put Tulsa on the map, right? How do we continue to make this city, this small city on a larger kind of national map? And you've seen programs within the ecosystem like Tulsa Remote and some things that I2E are doing and just all this energy around bringing people here to Tulsa. And so we thought about what does bringing young talent look like and how do we funnel them into entry-level jobs and how do we show them this experience that is Tulsa in a really unique way where they're doing things together and they have exclusive kind of events that they do together. And our hope is that they come on and they stay for a year, they stay for two, and and it becomes this place that they didn't just hear about, but they actually migrated to and found that they liked it. Kind of the, I didn't know, I didn't know. And so we're just we're expending our energy and trying to get them here to find out what they didn't know. It, it seems like every few years it comes up again, the kind of inequality behind unpaid internships. For you, why was it so important to have this be a paid position rather than an unpaid internship? Yeah, it was really important for it to be a paid position because we want them to get the feel of working working here in Tulsa, earning a salary. You know, the a lot of times people think, well, $40,000 isn't a lot of money. But in Tulsa, you could make 40000 and be okay, right? So I think it's, it's this idea of this is not an internship. You are graduating. I think that's the other part that's important is that they've recently graduated. And so sometimes you don't know if you want to go into graduate school right away or the very reality that Sometimes graduate school is unaffordable unless you have some type of assistantship or, you know, someone that's able to help fund or subsidize that. And so I think Tulsa Service Year really serves as an opportunity to earn, you know, a a living, be able to save some of that money, be able to think about is graduate school kind of next or I want to stay in this sector. And uh, it was really important that we paid them something that was competitive for them to come and figure that out on the ground. So what are some of the organizations, some of the type of jobs that that the fellows will will get to experience? Yeah, some of our current host sites are Tulsa Innovation Labs and 36 Degrees North and Women in Recovery, Still She Rises at Tulsa. Some of our others are Impact Tulsa. So really they're sparse job. The Terrence Crutcher Family Foundation is another placement site. So this job really takes into account what they're really great at. And, and we have found that these are some gaps within these organizations that they can come in and fill. So a lot of them are doing a lot of community resourcing tasks of finding other community partners that can aid in the organization's work. For some of them, it's compiling data and being able to analyze it and complete reports, compile reports, whether those be qualitative or quantitative that speak to what the organization is doing. So it really also depends on what the what the fellow brings into the organization. And then certainly they have a a job description, but we certainly will tailor that a little bit to where they really shine so that they're also getting a chance to put their passions towards something that they like that impacts the org. Well, so I noticed like some organizations are nonprofits, some are for-profit businesses. So it's Tulsa Service Year that's paying them, not the organization they're going to work for, right? It's Tulsa Service Year that is paying them, yes. So, I mean, I imagine I2E could afford to pay $40,000 for its intern, but still she rises, I know, wouldn't be able to handle that. So I was just double checking that. And uh, do you think you want to put a podcast production company on the list for next year? It could be possible. All right. We are actually preparing our host site applications as we speak. So uh, go ahead and apply. I I will. I will. Of course, I I, I don't know how I feel about my intern making more money than me, but... um, But that's a conversation for another time. So Just think of him as a fellow, not that's an right, intern, that's right, right? That's right, a fellow. A fellow. That's a fellow, yes. Does that make it feel better? No. No. Um, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, a little bit. Uh, yeah. I mean, my title as CEO doesn't mean I make a lot of money, right? Um, <laughs> you're originally from Ohio, correct? Yes. And uh, you moved here in 2013 to work for the University of Tulsa, right? Look at your memory, Jesse. Wow. <laughs> How did that happen? How did the going from one Midwestern state to what some people refer to as another Midwestern state? So that's an argument. That's another have. argument. Yeah. How did you find the University of Tulsa? What did you do at the University of Tulsa? How did you feel about your time there? I was teaching seventh grade social studies. Ugh. Exactly. God, middle school kids are the worst. Exactly. And the <laughs> thing is, I love the kids. It was I, I have such a passion for teachers that are in the classroom, especially in this time, and who are really not in the classroom, but kind of doing virtual teaching. And so really for me, being in the classroom day to day and all the other things that came with it, it just, 
I felt like burnout was imminent quickly. And I I really needed to pivot into something that I knew I loved doing. And TU, I had some feelers out there from before I actually had accepted the position. And TU was one of them. And they asked, they there was a the position for an area coordinator, but specifically for the international living community. And prior to teaching, I had worked in Japan and I had worked in Hawaii. And so, and travel really, you know, pretty regularly. And so it was ideal for me because I I was able to work with so many different cultures and so many different students. And I also could identify. I was a minority student at a predominantly white institution when I went to college. And so navigating that space when you are different than others was something that I just, I, I could personally identify with. And so I really got excited and interviewed for the position. They brought me on and I stayed at TU for seven years. I stayed in that position for two and then was promoted to the assistant director of residence life. And so in that, I found that I was able to really kind of apply some of what I had done in my you know graduate work and certainly in my undergraduate work, writing curriculum. Uh, a lot of people think like, you write curriculum for college students, but in residence life, we do because there's a belief that in residential education, you're learning how to converse with people, how to mediate, how to navigate difficult conversations, all these things that we're intentionally placing into their experience living in, in residence life. So I was really able to kind of lean on some things that I had done within my degree programs. And, you know, the other side of programming and creating opportunities with TU and some other partnerships, it was just really exciting. And so for me, I stayed, I had been there really up until the end of 2020 and loved it. Just felt like it was time to transition and do something else. You know, the thing that I'm most, I don't even know if you can say proud, but the thing I'm most excited about is that each of my jobs have always been connected to who I believe myself to be. And that's an educator. And so once I was able to leave that seventh grade classroom, I could still find that I was educating people, even though it was college students. And now in this light, it's still educating recent college students. So the theme and the thread is still the same of being an educator. It's just, what am I unearthing for this individual? Whether it be something about themselves, whether it be something that they didn't know about someone in the community, like I still find that education is weaved through every job that I've had. And so this is just really prime for me. You mentioned that you felt like going from middle school students transitioned well to college students. From what I remember about being in college, it felt like uh, a lot of us acted like middle school students a lot of times. So it, was a, it felt like a natural transition. I That was my selling point in the interview. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was very much my selling point because the question was, how can you connect what you're currently doing to this position? And for the the... I was working in residence life. And so typically what you see is a lot of first year students and second year students in the mm-hmm. residence halls. They then transition to, at TU's case, into apartments and townhomes. So the population that I was working with was primarily first and second year students <laughs> who are trying to find themselves, who are trying to figure out who they're going to be, trying to grow in their thought from moving from you know rural Oklahoma to, you know, so they're, they're also in this discovery mode, just like a seventh grader trying to figure out what's, you know, we introduce sports, I think in seventh grade and, you know, I'm going to be play sports. Am I going to, you know, do yearbook, you know, all these, all Mm -hmm. these decisions, but yeah, it was very, that was literally my pitch for uh, my interview. So I'm glad you pointed that out for me. I don't know about your experience post undergrad, but I wasn't a hundred percent sure I wanted to be a history teacher, right? A college professor. I didn't know this. Even after I finished my undergrad and I had a weird thing where I was going to study overseas and I didn't fill out the one form you're supposed to fill out to let overseas colleges uh, take FAFSA money. But even so, we all sort of went through a process of like, okay, college is done. What do we do now? What do we do with these skills we may or may not have? And running into the, I got a college degree, right? That's what you said you wanted, but now you want me to have experience in something that I couldn't (laughs) get before I had a college degree. So these fellows, are they all confident on what it is they're wanting to do? Or are they like still in that sort of exploring phase? I think it's hard to say if they're all confident in what they want to do. I believe that they all have very strong convictions of what they love, of what they like doing. I think that part is true. This time gives people this chance. You know, now that I'm here, 
I didn't know that I was going to like this job. And in fact, if I'm going to law school, I'm thinking about one of my fellows who is applying to go to law school. I'm doing legal research. I'm looking at cases. I'm looking at surrounding states and what are their policies. And so this is very applicable to the field that I'm that I know that I want to transition into. So I think there's a conviction of knowing what you like. And then there's there's also this curiosity. And I think the curiosity is what gets them here. So I think it's premature. I don't even know if it's premature, but I, I don't think it's probably accurate to say they know for sure. Or they don't know for sure. But I think there's some convictions of what they know. And then there's obviously some curiosity that this job kind of satisfies, at least in giving them exposure to something that they they may not have known they liked. Are there, I know there are some companies uh, and organizations that you work with that are in fields where normally that person would have some sort of master's degree or would do something after the four-year undergrad to learn specific skills. So has there been thought to what happens if someone really likes the place they're working but needs to go back to school to get the degree to then come back to the place to work? I think those are all possibilities. Now, I want to be clear, like our goal is to help them transition into the position, obviously to help them find. So we are the two R's that I think about are recruiting and retaining. So we're talking retaining side. And when I think about retention, it is absolutely furthering their work here or connecting them to someone that can um, do that. So the, the fellowship really is only a year. But if the organization wants to take on funding that position, And it could be that they offer some type of subsidy or some type of incentive to go back to school because really to kind of transition into this next role, you may need some extracurricular, not extracurricular, but extra education. So it it could look very much like that, how we help the fellow into kind of finding a second year outside of the fellowship. Permanency is definitely my job, but if they need to go and get, you know, more education for a position, that's certainly a part of the conversations that their host sites are having with them. So I noticed that you have obviously some nonprofits and for-profit as well as as government opportunities for these students. Sorry, fellows. 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 Only my first slip up on that one. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of other opportunities are there for them to engage with the community outside of their jobs? Outside of their jobs, in terms of like community engagement, we have what we call Tulsa Term. They really get a chance to learn about Tulsa, the for Tulsa, it's important that they learn about the um, Tulsa race massacre and um, the Black Wall Street experience. And in this particular time, there's conversation around what will a community kind of service project look like for them to do together. But keep in mind, we're still in our first year. Mm-hmm. So some of these iterations are things that are still, you know, left to be planned. But in terms of kind of this community engagement aspect or this community service aspect that they do collectively, that's not really present. But they do meet, like I said, monthly to do either an immersion experience in Tulsa, for an example, one of the opportunities that they had a few months ago was an experience called Wander and Wonder. And so they wandered around the city of Tulsa and stumbled upon different gyms and things like that. But they also kind of wondered, how do I fit into this frame? How do I fit into this ecosystem? Where Where is where is my organization within this? Where do I fit within the organization? So I think there are opportunities for them to think about their place within community through activities like Wander and Wonder. I don't wander so much in Tulsa because I generally know where I'm going. I wandered a lot in Boston, that's for sure. I'm like, oh, I'm here now. <laughs> you know, I so. think it's funny that the things that we drive past sometimes that's that true. we don't even think about, I, drive, I think about my drive to work and it's like, I go here, I get on 75. I can, although now I'm trying to get on Riverside because there's traffic, mm. crazy traffic. But yeah, I think the idea is if you are an autopilot and you don't take the time, you don't prime your mind to think about where are you and where, and specifically not where are you, but like, where am I on a micro and on a macro scale? And I think those things help you think about your contributions to the community at large. Yeah. And that's something might as well throw it out since we're at the Leadership Tulsa facilities. Sure. They, they have a lot of, that's kind of the one of the main points of their main Leadership Tulsa program is they have days out in the community. And as someone who's spent, you know, the majority of their life growing, you know, in the Tulsa area, I was able to learn about things and places that I knew nothing about. 
So I can see the power of that, especially to someone who is coming fresh to Tulsa who had never been here before. Right. Absolutely. I'm so I'm so I'm so happy for you. You got to see those things in person and not over Zoom as my leadership uh, class had to do. (laughs) Oh, well, you were a recent class. Are you Mm -hmm. 63? 63. Yeah. Yeah. So a rough leadership Tulsa year, but the longest leadership Tulsa year. So there's that. Um, Yeah. Like I wanted to see the Porter Catoosa in person, but nope. (laughs) So didn't happen this year. No, maybe in 2021. So. So how how did you end up how did you end up working out of here uh, the new Leadership Tulsa facility? Leadership Tulsa is uh, one of our partners, one of our community partners. They facilitate the community or not the community. I'm sorry. They facilitate the leadership and professional development experience that I talked about. And we do so much work together, and and they have a space, and so it just fit within our thinking. And honestly, it was. I think a decision made before, it was definitely a decision made before I got here, but I think the line <laughs> of thinking is that we were already working together. And so there was space here. I think now is a good time to talk about the, the fairy grandmother, the, the fairy godmother of this podcast. Uh, grandmother. <laughs> sorry, gra- <laughs> sorry, Marcia. Uh, uh, the fairy godmother of this podcast, Marcia Bruno Todd. Are you working with her? Are you working with Jandrew as she calls them? Jake and Andrew from Tulsa Changemakers. Like how are you interacting with the different spokes of the leadership Tulsa wheel? Everyone has been super helpful in helping me feel comfortable here. I probably talk to Marcia the most. Marcia and I work together closely because she does, like I said, the sessions for Tulsa Service Year. But also, Marcia is just a really wonderful, fantastic, super, like, want to make sure you're comfortable and, and all of that individual. And she just exhibits so much care, concern for people. And I definitely... I work closely with her. And then some of the other people within the center, I've, Wendy Thomas is phenomenal when it comes to strategy. And when we talk about kind of what our office looks like, we can go in one of the conference rooms and sit out and talk strategy and come up with a whole plan for what does recruitment look like. So I've worked with different individuals in different ways here. And, and I'd like to think of them as just contributors and thought partners and office mates. So it's been exciting to to be here for sure. Speaking of strategy, you mentioned this is the first year. So what is your vision for two years, five years down the road for this program to grow into? My vision for Tulsa Service Year, again, I lead with the two R's, recruitment and retention. And I would love for Tulsa Service Year, this first cohort, I would love to see two or three years from now, the same folks I want to be realistic and say, you know, I don't know if 100% of them will be here because I certainly can identify that some of them have been accepted into, you know, law school and medical school, and that's phenomenal. But I would like to see some of those same people here, either working where they started or working somewhere else and having uh, the experience that I had. I came to Tulsa. I literally thought I was going to be here a year, maybe two, and I was out. And I'm working on year eight. So my, when I think about success, I think about that. What does two years look like? It looks like some of the same people who gave Tulsa a chance are still here and they're still helping make Tulsa this really unique place. For the incoming class, I hope that we grow in our ability to offer more to their experience. I'd like to bring on more partners when we think about what does housing look like? Do they all get the opportunity to live together? Do they all get some type of subsidy to help them with their housing? Like a a real world house situation? Maybe not as... Not as as like on top of each other as real world, but currently a lot of our fellows live downtown in one of the buildings. And so I want there to be on my end, I have the the goal to put some more intentionality behind like, no, you all live here. You all can do this. Mm-hmm. Certainly, I'd love to see more, you know, as the as we get out of COVID, more social opportunities. I want to put them in front of people who are employers who work in these different various organizations, get them a chance to meet folks. I definitely want to grow the program and how they experience Tulsa. Uh, this being our first year. And a unique year at that, it is definitely not the prototype, right? Like this is, we know what we want to do, but we haven't been able to do it in that way. And so success for me in two to three years is is people really being like, yeah, I did Tulsa Tough actually, you know, or I went to Mayfest or I submitted something and, and it was displayed at AHA. You know, I mean, I want people to really feel the richness that we experience living here in Tulsa. So those are definitely some two to three year goals. And I know, I know we've talked a little bit about the fact that there are some for-profit companies that are connected. Do you foresee 
you know, that piece growing and eventually maybe encouraging those companies to sort of fund your organizations as a thank you for for those fellows working for them. For yeah. Year. You know, when you talk about success, I think the other part of success is, um, you know, having other people contribute to the existence of Tulsa Service Year, right? Tulsa Service Year as is and the way that it's funded is great and we certainly can support that. But I think long term success looks like other people buying in to say, hey, we believe in this, we value it and we want to add to the work that you're doing. So, you know, if those organizations and those people came on to help fund the organization and, and we grow and expand, that certainly is success for me. So what I mean, you as we're talking to you, you, you again, you know, we can feel the your energy and excitement about this. What about this program excites you so much? Like it's a great idea, but you seem to <laughs> love it. And so like what what is it about this program that like calls to you? Yeah, this program didn't exist eight years ago when I moved, but I connect with it because it is my lived experience. I think anytime someone says, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to move to Tulsa or I'm going to move anywhere, right? Moving, you moved from here to Boston. And so I think anytime someone decides that they're going to leave what is comfortable and move to someplace that is uncomfortable is exciting. And so for me, I want to meet that. I want to meet that with excitement. Like I don't want to come in and, and dimmer, dim that. So for me, the, the excitement is really authentic to my lived experience. I am a byproduct of having moved to Tulsa, having, you know, I came here my first year. I didn't really know a lot of people and, and I, I had some extremely difficult days. However, once I kind of got through really that first year, I met some awesome people. I, I started this kind of group chat because you know, I was like, we're not all going to be texting in some group. So we started this group me and it was literally it were six people. And in a short amount of time, and certainly to today, that group has like 261 people. <laughs> and so what it spoke to, though, was that I'm here. And what you find is there are a lot of transplants that are here. And so really, I think I am just a connector of people. I am I believe a conduit. And so I get excited about people that come here and they just want to meet and connect. And I'm a pretty social person. It's literally my lived experience. It's coming here. It's finding community. It's loving my job. It's, you know, finding folks that cared about me. It's deciding to further my, my professional career. I, you know, got into uh, OSU. We had this conversation of OSU and OU. So I, I started my PhD at OSU, go Pokes. And year after year, I've just found um, that I felt like I was supposed to be here. And, I, and I'm so glad that I did. And so I really want to meet people with that excitement because I know for me, I, I don't know that I was like super excited about Tulsa when I came. It was just another opportunity to get out of the, it was an opportunity to get out of the classroom. But I'm so glad that I did, right? There's a verse, not even a verse, it's like a quote that says like, I wouldn't have chosen it per se, but I wouldn't have changed it. And so I did choose Tulsa, but emphatically I'm saying like, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have changed it. I've grown a lot here. And I think that's, I think people will do the same when they come. I'm sorry. I stopped listening after go pokes. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, No, this isn't that kind of podcast. I know. (laughs) It's not a sports podcast. Contain yourself. Uh, No, they're all funny. I I do want to circle back to an important discussion we started earlier. And that was talking about whether Tulsa is Midwestern or Southern mm. or what okay. is it? Southwest. What is it? Yeah. So I don't know. I know what I it have is. my conviction. I, I've been told it's not Southern because you can't get enough grits and sweet tea. Yeah. Also, we weren't around when the civil war happened. Uh, we weren't fair. a state. Yeah. We weren't um, a state. <laughs> yeah. But what, I, 1907? Or is our state? Uh, yeah, 1907, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, I'm curious, as a true Midwesterner, yeah. your, your perspective. True Midwesterner, yeah. yeah. The, the Northwest <laughs> expansion of 18-whatever. Yeah. <laughs> now, to be honest with you, I think Tulsa, culturally, especially, I think compared to kind of Canton, Ohio, feels like the South. Like, it yeah. feels like... If I can go somewhere and find, br- first of all, we brunch here in Tulsa. Mm-hmm. Brunch was not a thing in, really? in Canton, Ooh, Ohio. Yeah, okay. no. So for starters, for me, it's brunch. And if I can find shrimp and grits, fish and grits, I feel like, yeah, it feels feels very (laughs) Southern to me. There's no shortage of sweet tea and uh, I can get shrimp and grits. So it feels Southern. And I also think geographically it's South. So for me, it's like 
coming from Ohio, it feels south. And the climate, right? Like the temperature is a lot warmer in the summer. It's true. I feel like humidity plays a role here. Because again, my belief is I saw a map in elementary school that had Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico, and Arizona in the southwest. southwest. And that made sense to me because we're not the SEC, right? We're not the, the going back right. to sports for a second, right? Those, we're not Georgia. We're, we're not, not yeah. yeah. But we're not we're not Colorado or Nevada or right. Kansas or Nebraska either. So right. what are we? And Someone mentioned to me once that they felt that Tulsa was a more Midwestern city and Oklahoma, and Oklahoma City was more of a Southwestern city. And that actually kind of made yeah. sense to me. I could see um, that. Yeah. And if, yeah. you ever, if you ever have, hopefully I won't anger any of our listeners in Southeast Oklahoma, but if you go to that portion of Oklahoma, you're like, okay, this is the South. This is the South. Yeah. Oklahoma the, feels a little bit like it's a cross section. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, I, yeah, yeah. It, it's where things, I feel like it's, uh, if it was a, a spectrum, it's where it starts to fade to a different color, but yes. it's got a little bit of both. Like the Venn yeah. diagram of this yeah. region. That's is, a good, that's a good analogy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there we go. Jesse's just really excited to have a sound effects uh, listen, back. I'm just happy to be doing this in person. Yes, I mean, folks. our <laughs> listeners, you should know we're all wearing masks. Yes. Um, but like, it's just the energy of being People. with Chris and our guest. It's just, it's great. It's, and I yeah. It. Yes. When uh, you told me this, but I've forgotten of when the year for Tesla service year counts, like it goes by the school calendar year, right? Similar to the school Similar. calendar. Yes. Yes. So year one started in September of 2020. Yeah. It was a little, it was a little off. Yeah. 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 It's a little off. So, um, yeah, so like, what did you have to do or what did the companies have to do considering that probably a lot of their offices were closed, like engage the the fellows this year? It's a lot of flexibility. I give it, I give 100% kudos to the team that stood this program up and to our first year host sites. I mean, there's been a, with anything that you do the first time, there's high flexibility. And so, yeah, there's, there was, they're just needed to be some flexibility there around when they were coming, when they got here, orientation and things of the sort. And it started in September. It will end in September. We wanted to push that up a little bit this year. And uh, I, I moved from August to August. So it's still at 12 months, but August to August, it could be May if someone is transitioning or, or rolling off, but August to August. We're in March now. So the fellows of the first year are probably starting to think about what they're going to do next. Through. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So what are the steps? Like, do you ask them like, Hey, are you liking this job? Is this a career you're thinking about? Or do you let them sort of naturally come to the conclusion of what, like now is time to start planning for what I'm going to do when this year's over? I would consider myself to be a direct person. So in my one-on-ones, which we have bi-monthly, but we talk about those things. It's definitely on the table now that they're six months in of, so what do you think? And for some, they're like, I feel like Tulsa is really great. I just haven't really gotten a chance to go out and experience some of the things. And because of that, they're open to giving Tulsa another year. There's also the 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 very solid, like, no, I love Tulsa. And I'm actually not applying to graduate school until next fall. So I'm here another year. You know, so I'm I am finding both the I, I want to experience Tulsa because I didn't, and I've experienced Tulsa enough that I'm trying to stay on. So I definitely am having, I am actively still having those conversations with our fellows. Do you foresee the, the fellows once they graduate out, continuing to stay connected with your organization and maybe additional groups connecting with the, the new classes that come in? Absolutely. That is actually what success looks like for me too. It's that engagement from the previous cohort in ways that can mentor, that can speak to, hey, I've been there. People come here and they become homesick and we get that. And so there's some kind of, you know, I also did leadership talks. I think we all kind of talked. I'm 54. I don't know. What class 61. 61. You're 63. Mm-hmm. So there's sometimes, you know, events where like they, we have that crawfish you know, boy, or we used to have that Fat Tuesday yeah. event. And so what I I, picked, I envision is that there will be events that we bring multiple cohorts kind of together for them to talk, for them to, if they be, if, if cohort one becomes a hiring manager and says, hey, when you roll off, come talk to me, I can blah, blah, blah. That is the community that we're mm-hmm. hoping to grow as people stay on and, and continue to work here in Tulsa. As a side gig, I've been helping Tulsa Remote do their candidate interviews. And I've, I've noticed people who don't know anything about Tulsa and the questions they ask and my answers to them. So when you're talking to the you know, people who might be applying for the second year to be second year fellows, if they ask you like, what's the thing you don't like or what annoys you about Tulsa, what would your answer be? Oh, what annoys me about Tulsa right now is the construction. 
I mean, I know it's a good thing, but 75 is, <laughs> is really trying me here. It's annoying me right now. Yeah. I mentioned the fact that for some reason, Telsons don't know how to merge on highways. <laughs> oh, speaking of highways, it's the short, you know, those like... The- on yep. ramps yeah. that are like yep. a millisecond long yep. before you know it's th- that annoys well, me and, and they can never do construction on them now because mm-hmm. it's when they redid I-44 they had to put those like mile long ones because that's the federal requirement there wasn't federal requirements before <laughs> so Broken Arrow the Broken Arrow Expressway at least that section of it is never going they're never going to they're never going to be where would they put it yeah. yeah this is why I only live within walking or biking distance of where I work because I just I can't deal with I can't deal with I can't deal with driving to work um, I mean, like, walking or yeah. driving distance. I don't understand Telson's like fear of driving downtown. I'm like, it's still a grid. It's just timed lights. Downtown? Uh, no, I, I lived downtown for a while. I now live uh, Cherry Street. So. Cherry Street. Yeah. I love Cherry Street. He, he lived downtown long enough for me to move to downtown and then move away. And then you left. <laughs> oh, what a friend. Um, I know. Well, I mean, he's, he's spent a decade convincing me to move back. And then he's like, oh, you're here now. Bye. Uh-huh. So. Yeah. The other side of that is I lived downtown for over 10 years trying to get him to leave when he finally shows up when I'm ready to move. Well, ah, listen, I didn't tell you to move downtown. Um, timing, man. Yeah. Um, no, you lived, you lived in downtown when there was nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, the very I was about to say, yeah. you lived in downtown before it was yeah. downtown. I mean, now yeah. it's downtown. You used to have that stick to protect yourself. Uh, yeah. The, the, you know, the thing that comes out. Yeah. What is that called? It's a baton. Baton. Yeah. Mm. Uh-huh. Um, all right. What should we talk about now? <laughs> You mean we shouldn't just keep talking about ourselves and our, and our previous living conditions, Jesse? I've lived in many apartments. Um, <laughs> Jesse alluded to how Tulsa Remote does their selection process. How do you do your selection process? So we start off with an application. And in fact, applications go live March 15th. So I'm going to put a plug there. But we start off with an application process. And the application is live from March 15th to April 16th this year. And so we'll go through a first round of interviews. And that's really with just our Tulsa service year team. And so thankfully, we pulled on the fairy godmother, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Marcia is going to help with some of that and some other folks that that I've partnered with. And we'll go through that first round. And then the people that we deem as finalists, we push out to all of our partners for them to get a chance to interview and get a feel for the candidates. And then we do a matching system. So think of this as Tinder, where there's a mutual match. And, you know, you're, I, I'm on Tinder, so I kind of know like that. Like, it's a match. You know, it's kind of this glorious boom. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there's a mutual match, then we certainly will identify who's mutually matched. And then we will notify the candidates of their and- placement. And when was those uh when, when, when were the partner applications due again? Oh yeah, partner applications are due April 9th. So and they also launch Mar- March March 15th. They actually launch a little bit later than that. Okay. Yeah, so you still got time yeah. to yes. thinking. No, uh, uh 4131 is when that t- time it is for myself. Um <laughs> <laughs> You weren't here for the application process of the first year of fellows, but are you expecting like thousands of applications? Are you thinking hundreds? Like Hundreds. 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 Last year, there were hundreds. I anticipate there will be hundreds. Is there a committee other than, you know, on top of you who go through these applications, decide who's, you know, who's the right fit and who's not a right fit? So that's kind of what I charged some folks that I, I would consider to be collaborators and community partners, because I am really technically the only staff member of Tulsa Service here as the director. I am tasking kind of other folks who are partners who have some shared vision, who definitely have, you know, what people that I would consider stakeholders, they are going to help process those applications. Similarly to last year, there were multiple kind of people that worked at different areas and they came together to score and to process the application. Only in nonprofits are you a director with no other employees. <laughs> That's nonprofits for you. That's, yeah. You know, this is year one. So part of success is adding, adding a team staff. and adding a go. staff. Someone yes. for you to manage. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Definitely need that support. So do you actively recruit specific locations, specific schools, anything like that? Or, or how do you get out, get the information out there? Yeah. So we uh, use social media. We're also thinking about our demographic, right? Like our target demographic is on social media regularly, right? So we're definitely using our platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, all those. And then, of course, very specifically being intentional about career fairs that we're going to. So this upcoming, we've got some upcoming career fairs because as I I shared with Jesse, we want to also win our own backyard. So we've got fellows here this year from Princeton and from Yale and from Duke and Northwestern and and. 
wash you in these really, really great schools. And that is super important. And we're super proud of that. Um, but we also want to win our backyard. We also want to, you know, represent Tulsa differently to people who are from Tulsa, who left and were like, I have no interest in coming back. So we're like, hey, like, have you considered, right? Yeah. So OU, OSU, Langston University, uh, some of those career fairs we have either gone to or are going to. They're definitely upcoming. And then some of the ones within what we consider this four-hour radius that are still regional and within our backyard. So that'd be the University of Arkansas too, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. U of A. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you a U of A? No, alone? no, my wife is. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. I, I point to him just because he drives to Arkansas a lot. And I'm like, oh, that's within four hours, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, I definitely was like, oh, you seem like you're a UA alum. <laughs> Sim- similar colors to OU. So. Yeah. Similar colors, mm-hmm. yes. You, you only get like five color choices if you're a team in the southern <laughs> part of this country, um, if, apparently. If, either a terrifying version of orange yeah. or some sort of red. A lot of the schools within that four-hour driving area uh-huh. tend to have issues with diversity because of the area of the country we're in. Right. So so how do you ensure that your program is diverse when some of the pool of, of schools you're p- pulling from don't have a ton of diversity? I mean, you experienced that yourself at TU. Yes. I have intentionally, you noticed, I just said Langston was mm-hmm. one of our institutions that we're doing a career for. And, and we certainly got some connections to Howard and different HBCUs because it is my intention to make sure that opportunity is there, mm-hmm. that our pipeline extends to there. I think oftentimes when we're thinking about what diversity looks like, we have diversity here. It's oftentimes, though, people not knowing about the opportunity. And so for me, it is being specific and who we're targeting and specific and who we're getting the information to and hoping that they grab and hoping that they take a bite. And so it was really important for me to intentionally put some of those schools on our kind of radar of who we wanted to make sure that we got this information to. I don't know if you've looked at our website. We actually have a really, really diverse group of fellows mm-hmm. this year. Oh, I mean, yeah. and I take no credit for this, but <laughs> I am so I'm so proud and so thankful to have just acquired such a great group of people. Is that put a little pressure on you for next Absolutely. year's class? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm like cohort. literally, yeah, the, the next cohort. <laughs> but yeah, the next group of fellows. No, I I yeah, I feel pressure. I always kind of feel this kind of like, oh my God, what if I don't do everything? <laughs> so no, I definitely do feel the pressure, but I think we've got all the the tactics in place from marketing to thinking with equity in mind of how we're scoring applications. I, I'm not worried about our output, what we yield, because I think we all lead with how do we make this someone or so, how do we make this something that everyone feels like they could become a part of. As uh, I am curious, um, as two elder millennials, uh, we have we have no idea how TikTok works. So nope. what does TikTok promoting look like for your program? Yeah. How does TikTok work? <laughs> you know, I the beauty of this is that I don't have to know it all. <laughs> I literally had a strat meeting with one of our partners who is doing all of our social media campaigns. Nice. And so what they presented to me was like these concepts. And so then, so all I need to know is like, this is the concept and they're going to format it for an Instagram story or a Facebook yeah, you know, story. I, I thought people TikTok. under the age of 30 aren't on Facebook these days. So Oh, no. Are they not on Facebook? I, that, 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 that's what stories tell me. I don't know if it's true or not. You know, but. and it, I think here's the thing. I think people, I think Facebook is, it may not be for our target generation, but the thing is, if their parents are on there or if their professors mm-hmm. are on there and they're seeing <laughs> these ads, it's the, hey, did you hear about? Right. Even if I didn't view it myself. Right. And so there's this kind of layering effect to that same end. I don't know that our target demographic is going to listen to this podcast. What I know is that there may be someone else who listens to this podcast who has a relationship with our target demographic. And that will, you know what I mean, entail do the same effect. So it would be ironic if our podcast was popular on TikTok because I don't know how to (laughs) post things on TikTok. Uh, or Snapchat, really. I don't know. Here's the thing: I I know how to post something. I don't know how to brand mm-hmm. something yeah. on those two. I, like, I'm not. Fa- I don't even have a TikTok, so yeah, I'm not familiar with. I think I downloaded and I I try and I was like, I'm scared. So <laughs> yeah, like, it's not my thing. Mentally, I only have room for I think four social media channels, and I'm at my four now. So you what know. are your four? So Facebook? we got yeah, it's Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even that great at Instagram, to be honest with you. But like, I, I don't, there's only so much room in your brain for things. And 
TikTok sounds like it's super fun. Sort of like how Vine was fun before Twitter killed it. Yeah. There's definitely a, a space for those video, short video type of social uh, media programs. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how to brand on one. Yeah. And I don't have time to research how to brand on one. Yeah. Well, you could if you get a fellow. They, have they, a social yeah. media manager. Listen, right? don't, don't throw that in my face. without uh, a, don't, te- <laughs> don't, don't threaten him with a good time. Yeah. Don't threaten me with more interns. Um, <laughs> okay. So we're, we're at the good time to transition to our our couple of our final questions. Yeah. One of the things we like to give our guests a chance is just to make an ask to our audience. So how can our listeners help? How can they connect? How can they help? Whether they're decision makers at a company or nonprofit or funders or people that are interested in the program. Senior so, vice president in Bingham, Oklahoma. So what, what, how they, how can they help? So here's my ask. I think if you're listening to this and you know of a recent graduate or someone who is graduating this year, I think this is a perfect opportunity for you to direct them to our website. I think the ask here is to just give them the information. It is literally talking to them about Tulsa. If they know a little bit about Tulsa, I'm not sure who all our listeners are, but if they've lived in Tulsa, been here in Tulsa, they can start anyone who's been in Tulsa longer than like five years can speak to the growth and the boom of Tulsa. Speak to that. Speak to the boom of Tulsa. Speak to Tulsa being this really exciting place. And then this opportunity that is Tulsa Service Year. I think the two of them coming together really helps what we do, right? So I think anyone that's listening to this, my big ask is hype up Tulsa, talk about it, and talk about Tulsa Service Year. I think those are probably the biggest asks that I could name and direct people to our website. We have, we are specifically putting information out there for people who are questioning what Tulsa Service Year is. So we're putting information out on our website, certainly as we go through the upcoming recruitment cycle to be able to answer those questions. We've got some informational sessions for our hosts that people can get a chance to learn about the organization. So yeah, my ask is just tell people about the program, direct them to our website, tell them about Tulsa and yeah. Is it TulsaServiceYear.com? TulsaServiceYear.com. If somebody tells you that they moved to Tulsa, don't immediately say, why? <laughs> I feel like a lot of longtime Tulsa residents, I don't want to stereotype, but it's a lot of people who spend most of their time in the suburbs and haven't really experienced a lot of the growth in Tulsa. Anytime somebody says they move here, their immediate question is, why, why the heck and did you move so to Tulsa? it's so discouraging, it right? Is. Yeah. yeah. It is. Yeah. What, what is this, Broken Arrow? <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, Broken no, Arrow wearing, knows what it did. No, we're wearing masks. I know. Yeah, that's right. Definitely not Broken Arrow. Um, we can insult Broken Arrow. We grew up there. Yeah, that's right. And it disappoints us on a daily basis. Oh, no. Yeah. Proud grads of Broken Arrow High School, year 2000. <laughs> so this year has been, we, we just year passed, plus. like, yeah, yeah. The, we, yeah, we just passed, like, the... Like, one of the anniversaries of the coronavirus and man, right. And how have you kept yourself sane and centered or not during this year? Like, did you, did you find a new hobby? Did you start like just binge watching shows you missed? Did you start, like read a lot of books? You start writing poetry. Like what did you do? So let me just say that I started Grey's Anatomy from the beginning oh boy. Oh boy. and there's a lot of TV <laughs> yeah. to watch. Yeah. <laughs> There's what are they on, like, season, season 17 or something? Yeah, there's there's 17 seasons. <laughs> wow. I'm on five. <laughs> season five. Nice. It's great television. So I did that. Here's the other thing. I'm also in a, a graduate program. So school did not stop. In <laughs> fact, we pivoted very quickly to being online and to virtual um, platforms. So for me, I, I really conquer down with what is reading and watching documentaries. I've had the the privilege of being able to do some publishing on my own and authoring some pieces. And so that's been really exciting, not the editing part, but just being able to put work out there that has my name on it. And and so I've really stayed busy. I launched a business. um, And and so that's certainly been something fun. It's really my creative outlet. So I am the CEO and founder of One Nine Lettering Co., and we're a Black-owned calligraphy and lettering business. And so I launched that. One nine stands for the 19 times that the Black dollar circulated around the Black Wall Street Greenwood community. And so I thought to add to one more of those businesses within the community, I would open up this lettering, calligraphy, handwriting business. So for me, as soon as I launched, I had so many 
I don't know what to call them, I guess services or, or proposals. Anyway, I did a lot of projects that were wedding invitations and saved the dates and did a couple like wedding signages. So that's really my creative outlet. So that kind of helped me get through the, the pandemic and then hung out with friends when I could. I certainly, as I said, I'm a social person. So we did virtual wine nights. And then certainly when restaurants open back up, I'm always going to be brunching somewhere, always trying to, you know, find a local coffee shop. I'm reading often. No, I feel that. Like, yeah. That super cold span we had was really difficult because it, oh, yeah. it it took away the excuse where like, well, we, we could have brunch outside or, you know, sit in the backyard so and difficult. talk to people. And uh, yeah, it was rough. It was so rough. Yeah. I had flashbacks. To my, <laughs> my Boston Times. Yeah. Um, I well, got a puppy during... Oh, nice. This, what what kind of puppy? He's a mini golden doodle. Oh. He's so oh. cute. Oh, yes, goodness. he's so cute. It would be me that gets a dog like a week before the coldest, you know, oh, winter no. Tulsa's had in 20 years. So, oh, no. yeah, but... Good times. If we can endure that, I yeah. mean, we can make it through anything. So, That's yeah, right. we can endure potty training in two it's degree true. weather. Again, like if anyone's listening to this who doesn't live here, even when it's below zero and we get snow, that snow was gone a week later. Yeah. Yeah. So we do not, the Oklahoma ground does not hold on to snow. It no does matter. Not hold on like it started melting at 40 degrees. I was like, that seems a little early. Yeah. Like, Andrea. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Uh, this was fun. It was yeah, great it was doing this great. in person. And uh, it was awesome learning about this program. Yeah, too. it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Yeah, again, thank th- you guys. For things I wished me. existed when we finished college. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, well, yeah. I I'm super excited about it, and I'm just grateful for the platform and the opportunity to talk with you about it. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I'm maybe thankful. maybe we can find a find a way to uh, plug in with some of these fellows, some of these cohorts in the future. They would love to do that. Yeah, yeah, they would love to. We actually have an event tomorrow. This is the only one that I've done by myself, but we travel, we do Zoom virtual career fairs and things like that. So they love telling their story. They are super, super excited about the program, mm-hmm. super grateful for it. And so I think they would love to come on so we can awesome. do that. Yeah. Well, thank you again. Thank you all for listening to our episode with Andrea and Tulsa Service Year. It is a very exciting program that I think will be very helpful to Tulsa and all of us, really. Please remember to follow pod for good wherever you get your podcasts follow us on facebook at our pod for good page we are on twitter we are on instagram and please most importantly tell other people to listen because that's how we get more listeners and again if you leave us a review on apple Podcasts, i will read it on air unedited thank you again to our sponsor tallgrass estate planning and remember telsa get it done broken arrow get your shit together and wear a mask.